Thank you, worship team. Well, I want to start today by asking you a question, and that is, have you ever thought about how great of a paradox you are as an individual? How incredibly small you are in the grand scheme of things, in the big picture, but how at the same time, God, our creator, loves you so much and cares for you so much. I'm going to be speaking about two different, completely different concepts today, and uh, hopefully by the end, you are going to see how they both connect together. But when we are young and uh, when we're little and we don't understand the whole world the way we need to, a lot of times we just see things through our little perspective and our focus, and uh, everything kind of revolves around yourself. You almost put yourself at the center of the universe. And one of the beautiful things of a family is that as parents, you have to teach your kids how to kind of grow out of that self-centered mentality and, and teach them and train them how they fit into this grand and glorious and sometimes even scary world that's around us. So I love that part of the family dynamic where Everyone is, is, is making sacrifices. No one's getting exactly what they want at all times. And if you don't ever grow out of that, it's a big problem. So in the family, you get to teach your kids that, hey, look, if you start actually putting others over yourself and not demanding what you want this very instant, something amazing happens. There's actually a paradox that happens, and that is you don't fight for what you prefer, and instead of being unhappy about it, you actually get peace, harmony, and enjoyment in your home. This is why when you go on family vacation and your seven-year-old wants to eat somewhere different where the rest of the family is going to eat, you don't just cave to your son and and say, okay, you can have it your way, because first of all, as a seven-year-old, they don't know exactly what they need yet, but even further than that, Um, they have to learn that the world doesn't revolve around them and their desires, and instant gratification isn't going to help anyone. So yes, parents, when you are driving in the car and those little tempers flare up, you have a teaching opportunity. That's something that God has built into the family. So hopefully you've learned that from your parents, how how small you are in, in the grand picture. I know, isn't that just great to hear as we open up this sermon, how small you are? Welcome to Doxa Church. (laughs) But if you don't learn this, there are harder ways to learn it as an adult. And, and, and adults who haven't learned this are some of the most prideful, condescending, hard-to-be-around, work-with people that there are. And when those people have power, it's even worse. Look out for the weak and the marginalized. When those kind of people have power, it's not good for anyone. So that's one thing we're going to be talking about. You're a grain of sand on the beach of humanity, all right? That's one part of it. And the second piece here is that it doesn't end there. There is more to it than that. I'm calling this message the perfect paradox because when you see the message of Psalm 8, it's not a demeaning message at all. This is not a discouraging message. This is a song that David wrote about a beautiful paradox of being small and at the same time being mighty. Both of these things are working in harmony together. You and I are this uniquely strange mix of frailty, and at the same time, we have tremendous force. We are a speck of a speck of a speck, scientifically speaking, yet we have incredible influence and power, cosmically and eternally. 
So if you're ready to ponder that paradox this morning, turn with me to Psalm 8. Some of you are already there. And we're going to read the 8th Psalm of David, which does just that. Let's read it together, verses 1 through 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over your works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So why do we matter? Why do we care so much about human life? Why do we crave for justice in our inner being? Why should children with disabilities uh, be, be just as valued the exact same way that we value a strong, healthy Olympic athlete? Why is an elderly person who can't create wealth anymore just as valuable as that influential entrepreneur who's an intellectual? Do you believe that? All of those questions are answered right here, and it starts with the glory of God. He made us in his image. It's a beautiful truth that that makes all of life work. It puts us in our right place where we can thrive and flourish in this world. This psalm begins and ends in perfect symmetry with the same thought. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And notice that in our English translation here, there's actually an all-caps Lord, and then there's a, a, a capital Lord, which, which is not in all-caps, okay? So this isn't somebody who just left the, the caps lock on. We're not shouting at you here. Uh, this is just a way that we are actually able now in our modern English translation to see the difference in the original, the original text that this was two different names for God. And whenever you see in your English Bible, the all caps Lord, that's actually the name Yahweh. We're talking about God's personal covenant name. And every time he uses that name, Yahweh, he's actually talking about a covenant relationship that he desires to have with you, with an individual human being. So this is God, I am that I am, the great self-existing one who cares about you. And then the next Lord the capital L-O-R-D, um, that's not all caps, that's Adonai. This is, this is the supreme ruler and, and, and the master of all. So you see that the guy up in heaven, God of the universe, who created everything, who's the master of everything, wants a personal relationship with you. That's a beautiful thought in and of itself. God is majestic and almighty. He has set his glory in the heavens, over the earth, beyond the unexplored space. And then in verse 2, the psalm immediately changes gears and goes from the ultimate might to smallness. See that again in verse 2? Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. So catch this. Here's the first paradox this morning. We see God's majesty on display through human weakness. Babies 
are the weakest of the weak, right? It doesn't, it doesn't get any more dependent than a baby. Uh, they're the weakest possible human being. And we all love babies. I have a little baby girl. Love her to death. But, you know, babies have to be cared for. They have to be fed. They have to be, we have to change diapers. Who's ready to quit changing diapers? Like, babies are, are hard work. You have to care for them because they're so weak. They're not strong. And in, in this paradox, God uses the weak to overcome that which is strong. In these opening lines, verses 1 and 2, we see the strength and the majesty of God. And he doesn't need to make the best draft picks. He doesn't, he doesn't do that, as a matter of fact. He doesn't need to use the most talent. He doesn't work with stars, humanly speaking or physically speaking. He chooses to use the weakness of humans. And he shows off how impressive he is by loading up his team with the weakest and by using the mouths of infants. God gathers people who don't think they are strong and he wins with them. He chooses to use humble people who know they have faults, like you and me, and he wins with them. That is an incredible truth for all of us. God is majestic, not only because he's mighty and powerful, but because the weak become powerful when they speak his name. Do you see that truth right there? When we speak his name, we then become powerful. Kingdoms of men rise and fall all throughout history, right? Babylon fell, Assyria fell, Rome was conquered by the barbarians because they weakened themselves. Um, the handwriting is in the wall for the United States of America. Are we going to be a world superpower forever? Well, the Bible says we're not. At some point in time, as, as scary as that thought may be to you, we're not going to be a world superpower. It's really hard to make that case in the book of Revelation. It's just really hard to do. So, so what's going on? What, 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 what do we have to feel and think when we look at what's going on in our country and we feel weak? We feel like there's powerful people who are taking over things that we love and we cherish. You know, I, I'm younger than many of you in this room, but I still remember the 90s when, when people who disagreed with, with their, their counterpart politically, you know, conservative or liberal, what have you, could actually engage in dialogue. And actually have conversations. Um, I, I mean, it's not, yeah, it's kind of funny, but it's not, it's kind of sad too, right? Like, instead of shaming someone and just labeling someone and shutting down a conversation immediately, that's what's going on in our country right now. That's kind of scary to think about. I remember a time when people loved their country and cared about it. It wasn't that long ago. And we see things have changed a lot. And things are changing very fast. So what are we to do about that? Are we to get worried about that and afraid of that? Well, when you think about this truth, it doesn't matter how weak you are. It doesn't matter how others look at you. It doesn't, doesn't matter if you get dragged through the mud. If you have a covenant relationship with the great I am, the king, the ruler of the universe, he is going to use you to still the enemy and the avenger. That's what he promises to do. He makes the weakest among us strong, and no one is going to come close to his majesty. So as David, the author of this song, contemplates this truth, why a strong God cares so much about the little guy, he looks up in the heavens and he asks, why would you care about me? And here's the first point today. Number one, acknowledge your insignificance. This is verses three and four. I'm going to read them again, just so you know I'm not making stuff up, because it's not a popular thing to say that you're insignificant. But this is where we start. We have to start here. 
When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? If you ever come across any of the literature of the new atheists, and these are the atheists that have been producing stuff for the last 10 to 15 years, aggressive atheistic thoughts, one of their main arguments against Christianity is that modern science has disproven, and all these modern discoveries have disproven uh, Christianity because, look, you're a very insignificant homo sapien. And if you go back, this is the way their argument goes. It goes along the lines of ancient culture, the people who wrote Psalm 8, David, they thought they were the center of the universe. They thought the world was where the world revolved around the sun. And they thought it all centered around them. And now, because of science, we know that the earth isn't massive. We're one tiny little rock, and it's not all about us. So it's ridiculous to think that you're special because the universe is way bigger than any of us imagined. So we can't be that valuable. That's that argument that they make. Do you see the half-truths there in that lie? That's the argument people make to try to refute Christianity, but there's a huge problem at the core of that argument, and it is that's never a case that the Bible makes. The Bible never takes that stand. We don't see David here looking at the stars and saying, look how awesome and precious I am, patting himself on the back. I'm a little precious snowflake. No, David looks at the stars, he sees space, and he says, who am I that you care for me? So it's the exact opposite of what people who attack Christianity would say. Psalm 8, 4, what is man that you were mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? The fact that the sun is 93 million miles away and that it's 109 times the diameter of the earth and the fact that our solar system is one of 500 solar systems in the Milky Way galaxy and that, and that there are in the Milky Way galaxy alone there are 300 billion stars the size of our sun and that there are over 2 trillion other galaxies out there in this, in this universe. All these numbers are legitimately mind-boggling. It blows my mind, literally. I probably missed, there's a 50% chance I messed up one of those numbers, okay? So don't quote me on that. I just lose focus on it all. You're going to get lost trying to think about it. But as a Christian, when we look up in the night sky at, in nature, we're supposed to feel small. And we're supposed to realize that God is so majestic and so grand. And then we acknowledge the fact that, wait, even though I'm insignificant, he knows my name. He knows the number of hairs on my head. And we should be astounded at his care for us. Now, at the same time, even while all that is going on, you also have this other conflicting message that says, uh, the world that says, hey, you are powerful. You are amazing. Uh, there's this ego stroke we get from positive reinforcement that's just like, you are the most special person in the whole world. Uh, we got girl power. Love, love me some girl power. I mean, flex your strength. It's all there. We love that when we feel that. It sounds great, that feeling of being empowered. But that's not entirely true to reality either. We never know when we're going to take our last breath. And the, and the edge between life and death is razor thin. Any of us could get sick. Any of us, um, you know, if we don't put the right things in our body, we're going to get weak. We're going to be unhealthy. So none of us are self-sufficient. 
And we wouldn't be surviving if we weren't in this perfect Goldilocks greenhouse effect that we have right here in our earth and our solar system. So it doesn't do us any good to think that we're bigger or stronger than we really are without God. And the point of Psalm 8 is the consistent theme throughout all of Scripture. Pride goes before a fall, and let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. If you want to truly understand how much power and uniqueness you actually have, you need to start right here, and that is, without God, you're insignificant in the big world that we live in. And at the same time, God uses the weak things of this world to confound the wise. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength. So this is the first step of relishing the beautiful paradox, and that is you are small, we all are, we aren't great in and of ourselves, but that your worth and your dignity, your responsibility in this world all comes from the truth that you are made in the image of God. You are made to have a relationship with God. That's where the value comes. We don't find our value or worth in how good we can dance or sing or how much money we can make or how good you are at math or how good you are at colors. None of that. Verses 5 and 6 tell us why. Verse 5, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. It's not because of your capacity it's because of a conferred dignity that we have from Jehovah, Adonai, Yahweh. Your value is not because of your capacity. It's because you have been crowned by the king. And that's an amazingly beautiful, comforting thought. So here's the par paradox. Yes, you are insignificant. It's verses three through four. But point number two is realize your astonishing significance. You have both pieces at play. And, and common things become uncommon when they are associated with greatness. I mean, right? You know, when I was a kid, I remember going on a summer vacation once with my family to Washington, D.C. And I would love to take my kids back there at some point in time when they're a little older. But when we were in Washington, D.C., we visited a lot of these Smithsonian museums. And I remember this as a kid. Uh, we were in these museums, we're seeing all these really cool things from history, from TV shows, and, and I remember seeing Fred Rogers' cardigan sweater in the Smithsonian. And, and as a kid, I didn't even like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, like I thought it was boring, but it was one of the only shows my mom let me watch. And, uh, and there I saw his sweater, and I was like, wow, that's, that's cool. Like I'm, I'm looking at this artifact from history, and there's Mr. Rogers' sweater. Why is Mr. Rogers' sweater in the Smithsonian Institute? Why is something that common? Well, it's because Fred Rogers did great things. He was a believer in Jesus Christ who, who took his platform and he trailblazed. And he, he taught our country in, in little influential minds about justice and the value and the beauty of life. He made a humongous imprint and impact on, on so many people. Common things become uncommon when they're associated with something great. I mean, you see this throughout life. Why are autographed shoes or sports cards more valuable? I mean, you print a sports card of LeBron James, there's a million of them. It's like, okay, whatever. If LeBron James autographs that card or that pair of shoes, well, all of a sudden, this hooper who has great handiwork and skill has handled it and signed it, and now it is special. Now it means something, and that's us. That's who we are. 
as part of God's creation. There's only one part of all of his creation that is fashioned and formed after the image of the creator, and it's mankind. He breathed into us the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So the mountains are grand. You know, the sun is, is mighty. Animals are unique and beautiful and brilliant. Everything that God has created is good. But we are the only ones that are crowned with this special glory and honor. God has given us the dominion over the works of his hands. We are living, breathing statues of the creator. We are little prisms that reflect his creativity when we love, when we give, when we provide, when we seek justice, when we give mercy. We are reflecting the glory of God. And that's astonishing. That's how significant you are. And this is where I want to personalize it for a minute. When you really take that truth and how it impacts the rest of life, you cannot worship and glorify the majesty of God while treating his supreme creation with contempt. No matter what color they are, no matter what physical limitations they may have or neurological differences they may have, it doesn't matter. They're made in the image of God. You cannot starve the elderly human and glorify the majesty of God. You cannot treat an unwanted pregnancy like a personal inconvenience and glorify the majesty of God. You cannot dismember an unborn human and glorify the majesty of God. You cannot discriminate against the minority in your community and glorify the majesty of God. You cannot hate authority, even if you disagree with them and their decisions, and still glorify the majesty of God. You cannot worship God while treating his supreme creation, no matter what they look like or how different they are than you, you cannot treat them with contempt. That goes against everything God has created us to be. In the New Testament, James says that we aren't to curse people. And the reason he gives us to do that, anyone want to take a wild stab at it? Because we're made in the image of God. That's the reason he gives us. Don't curse man. It doesn't matter if that image has a nasty scar or if it's completely distorted. There are people who have fallen far, far, far away from the way God created them to be and wants them to be. But even if they're out of touch with reality, or even more scary, like they think you're the one who's out of touch with reality. Humans have value and dignity because they have been autographed by their creator. And with that glory comes responsibility. We have dominion that is ownership and control um, and entailed in that word dominion, we are to preserve and to protect. Yes, we have the right to use God's creation for our nourishment and human flourishing. And yes, we are a step below the heavenly beings, the angels and demons. They do have more power in one sense than we do. But we're the ones who are crowned with glory and honor that showcase the glory of God. So never forget that God loves you. And even when you feel insignificant... Even on your worst days, know that that has not changed the significance of who God has made you to be. God is in the business of using the small to become mighty. He uses the weak to stifle his enemies dead in their tracks. That's who you are. Your significance is in the might that you have been gifted to reflect the character of God to extend mercy, to restore the broken. And when you look at a mirror, don't look at how far you've fallen. Don't focus on the mistakes you've made. Remind yourself that God will use you. And out of the mouths of babes and infants, the weak, 
He is going to have this paradox happen where he uses the small and he makes them become mighty. He can use you in your weakness to do powerful, impactful things. So ladies, when you are in the workplace and um, you're showing poise and someone, there's, there's, there's maybe someone who disrespects that, doesn't, doesn't respect or value your dignity as a professional, you can still be used by God to show the grace of Jesus Christ to convict that person by showing poise that can actually not only impress other women who don't know Jesus, but it could even turn the coldest heart. You have the power to do that. Moms, your job of discipling your little sinners under your roof can be hard and challenging at times, but you have the ability and the platform to shape the future. Young men, your responsibility to treat single ladies as sisters in Christ and cherish and respect them is extremely significant. Husbands, your role to love your wife by sacrificing for her as Jesus Christ gave his life for you is the most intimidating thing, but it's one of the most powerful and extremely significant things, rewarding things that you could ever do. And fathers, it doesn't get any more important than your role that, that you have to impact and shepherd your home to create a haven for your family to flourish. We need those kind of fathers and we celebrate those kind of fathers today. There's something inside of all of us that just jumps for joy when we see a strong, mighty person, an influential person reach down and affect the weak. You don't see a whole lot of these stories in the news right now because there's so many other things in the news, but but. I love those stories where you have people like Chris Pratt, Chris Evans, who, who get in their superhero costumes and go visit a children's hospital. I mean, who doesn't just love that, right? It's such a great feeling. We love that when we see that because it fits within the framework of the greatest love story that the world has ever known. The greatest picture of a strong person coming down for the weak is found in Jesus Christ when he came to this earth. In Matthew 21... Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and no one fully understood what was going on at the time, but as he did that, there were children, and there were people who laid down palm branches, and they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, the King of David, the Son of David is here, and that was Palm Sunday, you know, a week before Jesus rose from the dead, and he entered as a humble king, and as everyone was shouting, Hosanna, the religious leaders at the time got, got furious. Like, what is going on? Who is this person? And you can read this entire story in Matthew 21, but as the, the city was stirred up and the religious leaders were o- upset, Jesus came into the temple and he overturned the tables. He actually premeditatedly made a whip and he drove out the money changers who were mistreating the weaker classes, the the people who were in the minorities, the people who didn't have as much going for them, the people who were supposed to have a place in the temple to worship, that spot had been turned into a place that Jesus called a den of thieves where they were just conning people and they were were stiffing people with the the rates that they were charging them. Jesus was so furious at that that he drove them out. And then you have Matthew 21, 14. After that, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. This is Matthew 21, verse 14. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw how the wonderful things that he did, 
and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant, and they said to him, do you hear what these people are saying? And I can just see Jesus' smile on his face as he turns to them and says to them, yes. Have you never read? And then he quotes Psalm 8, verse 2. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, I will establish strength. They had most definitely read Psalm 8, verse 2. They had it memorized. These were, these were the Pharisees who had, who had these songs down since they were kids. And Jesus stares them down, and with a smile on his face, he just says, yes, these kids are fulfilling that verse, and I accept it. I receive that. Jesus was saying that Psalm 8 is about him, and God defeats his foes with the weakness of children. And Jesus says, this is what I'm doing. Jesus came into this world weak. He was born of a teenage mother in a manger who had no, no status. And he died in weakness, and he died in agony. But the humanity of Jesus Christ was the only way to pay the price for the punishment of sin that is in rebellion against God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Psalm 8 is about how Yahweh, Adonai, uses us, the small, to do mighty things. But it doesn't work if Jesus isn't in the picture. So, number one, acknowledge your insignificance. Number two, realize your astonishing significance. But there's one more application that must be made to tie this all out. This is where the paradox really starts getting deeper. But relish the beautiful paradox of being small and mighty by bringing glory to the great God who makes the weak strong. That's who you are. That's who God wants you to be. And here's the third point today. And this is how the message of Psalm 8 wraps up. Showcase your inherited dignity by displaying his majesty. This psalm spells out four specific truths about you. You are small and weak. God is mindful of you and cares about you. You have been crowned with glory and honor. And you have been given dominion and power. All four of these truths are here in Psalm 8. And common things become uncommon when they're associated with something great. So those shoes, if they're signed by Kevin Durant, you know, they're not the same old common shoes at Foot Locker. They're actually more valuable now. That's us. That's the key that unlocks this paradox. The paradox of mankind in relation to the majesty of God. He has given you the dominion over the works of his hands. Subrule over his created order. It's very significant. Life looks and feels different when we embrace that. And, and science is a discovery of his creation, of all the powerful things that he has made. God approves of those technological advances. He wants us to discover what he made. He's given us the ability to make music and to create things. Part of having dominion over the earth is taking what he created and cultivating it. Make a golf course out of that forest. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. Sculpt something out of granite. All these things are wonderful. Go rock climbing. Go mountain biking. Go jet skiing. Fish and hunt and conserve. Do all of those things for the glory of God. We should be doing those. We shouldn't abuse animals. We use some for food. We enjoy the company of others. We have to keep all of this in balance. We don't want to go to the extreme in any of these areas. But this is the paradox of who we are. We are insignificant in the grand scope of creation, but at the same time, we are the most significant part of creation. 
because we're made in the image of God. And that paradox is perfected by the perfect man, Jesus Christ. He's the one who holds it all together by the word of his power. Worship team, you can come up right now. Hebrews 2, I want to I close with this. Hebrews 2 is another New Testament passage that quotes Psalm 8, and it shows this perfect paradox of Jesus. Hebrews 2, if you want to turn there, I'm going to read verses 5 through 10 as we see more of Psalm 8 in the New Testament. But this is where it gets really good. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At the present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So did you catch the staggering statement that was at verse 5 at the very beginning of this? The writer of Hebrews, this is basically inspired, inspired commentary on Psalm 8, says that humans will one day rule over angels in the new earth, in, in, the, in, in heaven. That's what we're talking about here. God's people will rule in the world to come over the angels. And Psalm 8 is quoted here in Hebrews 2, it's specifically in verses 6 through 8. But the second half of verse 8 points out something that's interesting, and that is at the present time, we don't see all of this yet. And isn't that the truth? And that's where verse 9 has a very important but. But is a contrasting word. And verse 9 is highlighting a different hymn. It isn't talking about us anymore. This is a new point of reference. We don't see everything under mankind's subjection. We don't do it all the way we're supposed to do it. We don't have it all together like we should. But here we go, full circle with Hebrews 2.9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone Jesus fulfills Psalm 8 why is he crowned with glory and honor because of his death that he tasted for us Jesus became a man and the perfect man died God gave his life so that we could have life the creator of life gave his life and that's what Hebrews 2.10 says. For it is fitting for by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory that we should be made the founder of salvation that is made perfect through suffering, the suffering of Jesus Christ. He was sinless and he became sin for us. That's the perfect paradox right there. The king of Psalm 8 has a name and his name is Jesus. So when you are down and discouraged and feeling insignificant, think about what he did for you. He came to the cross for you. And you can rest knowing that God loved you enough to die for you. And no matter how bad it gets, He is going to make all things new. He cares. So we can't afford to waste our adult lives living like that child who has the world revolving around me. 
We can do that as adults too. When you live for your career, when you care more about your status than, than you care about leading your family, when you care more about your wardrobe or the comforts of life than you care about making a difference and an impact in eternity. Your, your universe is centered around the wrong thing. Showcase your inherited dignity by displaying his majesty. That's what we were created to do. The reason you were made is to know God, to have a relationship with him where you show his glory and majesty. And the ability to know God can only come one way. It's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus, you have to realize that I'm a sinner. In and of myself, without that dignity that's been given to me by God, I am insignificant. I mess up. I make mistakes. I don't do the same things that God has called me to do. I do the opposite of his character. And by sinning, I'm in rebellion against him. And the only way to have that relationship restored is to confess your sin and give your life to Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith. And God the Father accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross by raising him from the dead. And this is exactly why Psalm 8, verse 9, ends with, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's a perfect paradox. God's majesty is displayed through human weakness. God's glory is displayed through human lowliness. His power was made perfect through suffering, and your suffering will be made perfect through his power. It's a perfect paradox. Let's stand up. Let's sing about that right now in response to what the Holy Spirit is doing to us and speaking to us. It's your 